Hello and welcome to the Fantasy Life Podcast, Seattle Seahawks Team Preview Edition. I'm your host, Ian Harditz. It is a great day to be great, and especially so when I'm joined by Fantasy Life Director of Analytics, all-around baller, Dwayne The Rock McFarlane. Dwayne, we just talked 49ers. Now we're talking Seahawks. How are you, my friend? Man, I love talking Seahawks. Uh, you know, our producer, James, he's a Seahawks fan. I think, you know, we have good news for you today, James. Like, this is going to be a show that you should be excited about. Uh, I, I have to admit, and Ian, I think you were with me last year, uh, we were concerned. You know, Gino hadn't done anything in a long time. We were like, okay, Gino, Drew Locke, really? Like, uh, like DK Metcalf, not so sure I want to draft a lot of him. Not so sure I want to draft very much Tyler Lockett either. Wrong, 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 Ian. I was wrong. I was so wrong. Like, so uh, Gino, hat tip to you, man, for making me look like a complete freaking idiot, and I'm happy about it. Just what a season it was, man. Like for him to pull that comeback player of the year out, you know, after starting a handful of games for the previous decade, just goes to show you how mentally strong that dude was to, you know, have that opportunity and then to take advantage of it like that. Fantastic story and hoping for bigger and better things for Seahawks Nation. So yeah, fun time to be a Seahawks fan when it wouldn't have been all that surprising, Dwayne, after the rush trade, if they were just in complete rebuild mode. Funny how that works out sometimes. So as always with these podcasts, guys, I'd like to go through some of the offseason transactions before we get into t- discussing each and every fantasy relevant player and with that we will get after it Shane Waldron uh, Dwayne once again running the ship here and steering the ship I should say in Seattle and ironically last year after all the cries to let Russ cook he finally did increase the passing in the offense after Russ was out of the picture in 2021 they were 18th in pass rate over expected 2022 they were 8th also they went from 13th to 8th and you know their pace and neutral situations so an offense that in the past, you know, we needed guys like Tyler Lockett and even Doug Baldwin, like just to live on this insane efficiency for them to be able to make up for the lack of overall targets inside of what usually was a run first offense built around Marshawn Lynch and some other guys. Nowadays, Dwayne, this is the sort of environment that we should be expecting multiple high end fantasy assets to come out of the passing game. Yeah, and the big change that they made last year um, was the fact that they were just running, you know, with more tempo. Um, so neutral play clock, seconds remaining, 11.1. That was third best in the league, right? So that just really gives us the intent of how fast coaches are trying to run. You know, if you're calling, you know, this, if you're snapping the ball with more time left on the clock, that's a good thing for the offense because that adds up over the course of the game. And that had just not been the case in previous years. Um, it's not that they suddenly became like this hyper pass heavy offense. Yes, they did pass the ball a little bit more than what we had seen at other times. Um, you know, whenever we had, whenever we had Russ back there, but it was pretty close to what we had seen in the past, but this calling the play sooner. And that seems to be something that they really made a change, um, like around week four. And you actually heard, um, Pete Carroll talking about it, how they wanted to, you know, switch some things up and they wanted to be able to run more plays and then they stuck with it through the rest of the year. So that's a big thing that I'm expecting to see continue. Um, I think the biggest difference here, Ian, is you know last year you had the Seattle Seahawks. They were number two in 12 personnel utilization, right? You had Noah Fant, Will Disley, Coley Parkinson, but now you add Jackson Smith and Jigba. So like, how much is that going to change this offense? Because they only use they only use three wide receiver sets uh, 54% of the time last year. That has to go up now with JSN there. That was 25th, but that's my biggest question when I was working through the projections for the Seahawks, like the trickle down effect of impacting the wide receivers and everybody else like that was the one like okay um what's going to happen with uh, their primary personnel package this year i think that's still in question 
As Dwayne mentioned, Jackson Smith and the Jigba, Ohio State's finest out with the 20th pick of the first round to Seattle. And they also picked up UCLA running back Zach Charbonnet with the 52nd overall pick there in round two. Because as great of players as they as they very well might be, does add a bit of a headache in fantasy land just trying to figure out exactly where that football is going to go around. And really, Dwayne, the major big winner of the offseason accordingly was Geno Smith. Because, you know, when they had, I believe, the number six overall pick, I mean, there were a lot of people wondering is this a you know a natural landing spot for Anthony Richardson are they going to dip their toes into the veteran QB market nope Gabe Gino, you know, again, a much-deserved extension. He is going to be the man for at least 2023 and, you know, maybe beyond. So looking at last year, man, nobody was better throwing the ball 20-plus yards downfield, 99.2 PFF passing grade, 15 touchdowns on those deep balls. And the mixtape checks out, man. Like, just seeing the throws he make, made, my God. Both touchdowns, Tyler Lockett against the Saints, you know, one pearl after another down the sideline of DK Metcalf. I know when you start, you know, looking at things like sacks and he can hold the ball a little bit too long and you look at maybe the second half of the season, it didn't go quite as well as it was before. But even then, Dwayne, like I hate when we do this thing where it's like, well, if you just focus on Geno's five worst games of the year, you can clearly see he wasn't as good as if you look at the whole sample. Yeah, no shit. That happens with everyone. And even at the end of the year, man, because the issues are those final four weeks, he was the QB 16, 18, 12 and 13 in fantasy land. Honestly, not that bad to begin with, especially when you consider in weeks one through 14, only Hurts, Mahomes, Allen, Burrow, and Fields have more fantasy points. But even in that pretty bad stretch at the end of the year, Dwayne, they played the 49ers, the Chiefs and Arrowhead, the Jets, and a Rams defense that wasn't great for all of last season, but we know they still had Donald and Rams, maybe not Donald at that point in the year, but still a tough matchup anytime the Seahawks and Rams are playing. So really, man, I'm not buying the idea that we saw the real Geno, you know, unveiled at the end the year and the fact that we are adding a talent like JSN to the group makes me feel better about this offense and the passing game's ability to keep on keeping on even if they're you know associated bottom 10 scoring defense gets a little bit better so with Gino man again my opinion one of the biggest QB winners of the entire offseason and in a relatively flat QB two tier Guys like Aaron Rodgers, guys like Jared Goff, guys like Kirk Cousins, I think you can argue Geno offers the highest upside of all of them thanks to his ability to still provide a little bit more of a rushing floor and just having arguably the best trio of wide receivers in the entire damn NFL. Yeah, Geno is my third most rostered quarterback on underdog right now. Um, I have him ranked as QB 12. He's still going between QB 16 and QB 17 on underdog. I think he's an absolute smash at that price with the addition of Jackson Smith and Jigba to go along with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. Quick word on those splits. Like, I just don't buy into that kind of stuff, to be yeah. honest. Like, when you have people just start dicing and then you ask, like, well, why did you pick those? Well, because those were the games he did bad in. Well, like, but is there a reason? Did he, like, play, like, three number one defenses? And now maybe your real point is, like, wow, Geno struggled against good defenses. I, I might be able to buy into that. But it would need to be defenses that we think are going to be good again this year, which can be hard to predict. Um, or if it was, oh, you know, Gino, you know, had, you know, maybe he was missing a wide receiver or something, you know, then I might look at that kind of splits. He had six games where he didn't have Metcalf, something like that. I might want to look at those splits versus when he did have the full receiver. There needs to be some reason behind what you're doing with your splits, not just, well, in the second half of the year, man, you know, Gino really trailed off. Like that just doesn't, it doesn't usually work. Doesn't usually, it's not something that, uh, you know, really gives us much signal for anything, to be honest. So I, I'm all in on Geno Smith this year. Uh, I think there's a lot of paths here. Ian, he could just be more efficient because the weapons are even better. Uh, Seattle could just decide they want to throw the ball more because really they've got an offense now built with three great wide receivers. 
uh, where they could just want to, you know, throw it more often. Um, you know, he could be in more shootouts. He plays in a division where, you know, you're going to play against other, some other good teams and he's got a decent out of division schedule. Um, their defense is not great. Like their defense is making strides. They made some, some good draft picks last year as well. Um, but there's, I feel like there's just a lot of paths here, you know, and here's the worst case. Like, fine, he's like a QB 11, QB 12, but I think he has upside to be more than that. I mean, last year he was QB 7, and we're drafting him as QB 16? Like, that's just, yeah, to me, this is just easy, taking Geno Smith. Arbitrage version of Justin Herbert, Trevor Lawrence, is that fair to say? Yeah, that's what I got written up in my uh, tier article. Arbitrage, Ooh. Justin Herbert, or Trevor Lawrence. Good, good job, Ian. Way to go, e man. I about to say, either you said that at one point and I just forgot you said it and made it my own, or we had the exact same thought at different times. <laughs> we do we do spend a lot of time talking to each other, so I'm going to go we ahead do. and lean towards uh, the latter on that one out of my own bias. But yeah, Geno Smith, I, I love when we're having one of these conversations, though, Dwayne. Like, you don't even have to go to, because I, I know you could probably give us another five minutes of great stats backing up your Geno yeah. pick, but it's like, no, I've drafted this amount of teams. He's my third highest owned corner, quarterback. Tells you all you need to know. I am also higher on Geno than can Census. Not quite up there with Dwayne, but I certainly see why you are. I think I'm just probably a little bit higher on someone like uh, Daniel Jones, and that's probably just a separator there. But yep, Geno Smith, again, in that, again, pretty flat tier of quarterbacks going across. I do think he is someone worth prioritizing because you get a little bit more of that rushing. And again, those weapons are just absolutely borderline erotic. In the backfield, Dwayne, we got Kenneth Walker, and not just Kenneth Walker, Zach Charbonnet is going to be in there as well. Walker, beginning of the offseason, he was going as the RB6. Am I wrong? Yeah, yeah, he was way up there. He was in the second round. Like, and it was warranted, man. Like, seeing what he did. Second round in this economy. In this economy, Dwayne. <laughs> absolutely crazy. Back, going round two. <laughs> I mean, just the whole thing going last yeah. year, you looked at his just stats coming out in terms of what he could do on the ground. It was great. We didn't know quite where we were going to get from him as a pass catcher. And to be fair, we only did see 27 catches for 165 yards last year. But end of the day, man, 1,215 yards from scrimmage, nine touchdowns in 15 games. And he didn't even get a chance the first couple games of the year to get that full-time workload before Rashad Penny was hurt. So yes, there are a few things like success rate. He was 41st among 42 qualified running backs, where if you look at him, does have kind of that boomer bust mentality at times you know he is someone that if there's three yards and the place is on to go in the a gap, a gap he might try to bounce outside and gain 50 yards even if that is going to come with some tackles for a loss but you know i've also kind of looked into that a little more Dwayne, and someone that i trust in the industry uh to grind some film hayden winks over underdog he just pretty simply found the five worst plays in terms of just total epa gain from kenneth walker looked the all 22 tweeted out a video and I kind of agree with Hayden, man, but you look at these plays and a lot of times, yes, he was trying to make something out of nothing, but that's more what it was. It wasn't like he was even sacrificing, you know, five yards up the middle. It was like, my God, there's absolutely nothing there. He tried to make something and he still came up with nothing. So I'm not going to sit here in June and fall into the trap that sometimes we do in the off season, which is just, you know, all of a sudden critiquing Walker's, you know, his vision, his rushing style, all that, because at the end of the day, man, we're trying to get and just figure out the volume more than anything. All of these running backs are awesome. So with Walker, man, like when I see him going as the RB 15 now in ADP pick 52, that almost seems like too much of an overcorrection after the Zach Charbonnet pick. So I have not drafted as much Walker as I would like to almost purely 
purely because Joe Mixon continues to go in this range. And I just continue to think that Mixon is the one we should be targeting there. But man, just looking again at the overall just running back landscape, I really don't see the need to draft someone like a Travis Etienne, someone that we also think is going to be more so restricted to early downs, but he's explosive and he's in a good offense. I mean, why draft Etienne at pick 40 when you can get Walker almost around later? Not to make this the shit on Travis Etienne show, but I do think that Walker, Dwayne, he's going in a nice spot in the draft. And again, just the fact that we had someone RB6 before you added a second round running back, and now he's all the way down to RB15. This is a good spot to buy Kenneth Walker. Yeah, and I don't have as much exposure as I probably should either. Um, but again, a lot of that does come down. And, and this is, we've mostly been drafting on underdog. We haven't done a lot of uh, redraft type stuff. That will change the way we look at some of these things because it changes where, you know, they're going in ADP. Um, but on underdog with the, with the wide receivers that are all going in that range and how quickly they all dry up, like there's, and you mentioned the thing with Mixon, there's just a lot going on. Um, like overall, Kenneth Walker, like his profile screams RB1 on the ground. It screams backup running back in the passing game, right? And I think that's probably what Charbonnet is going to come in and do is take over part of those pass, that passing down work. But if the Seahawks can take another step forward as an offense, and we just talked about them adding JSN, we talked about Geno and how well he played last year, then, you know, there's a shot for a guy like Kenneth Walker to score, you know, 10, 11, 12 rushing touchdowns. Like, I think that's totally on the table um, because he also offers the big play upside. 13% of his carries went for 10 plus yards or more. The three-year average for a running back one in fantasy football is 12%. His average yards after contact, 3.2, above the RB1 threshold of 3.1. Missed tackles forced per attempt, 21%, above the 19% threshold for RB1s over the last three years. So he really does well across all of the, the early down metrics. Uh, you know, when he's got the ball in his hands on the ground, he is an absolute uh, factor to be dealt with. The question is, like, can another part of his game develop, right? And that's where I get worried. Like, the targets per route run kind of followed what we saw in college. I know you and I tried to give him a little bit more of a pass last year um, because we do see some guys come out of college and they can actually, you know, turn the corner and catch the ball more. But historically speaking, like, if a guy doesn't do that in college, they have less of a chance, you know, in at the next level. And that definitely did hold true for Walker. Um, so he had a 14% targets per route run. Not very good. 0.67 yards per route run. But I do think he's in a really good offense. So he still has paths to hitting. Um, I'm definitely worried about Charbonnet, though. Like, if I'm picking between the two, like, Zach Charbonnet is one of my most drafted players. Um, he actually scored one percentage point better than Kenneth Walker in the uh, Fantasy Life running back supermodel. So I think they're very, they're close. That's not to say he's better. Like, they're in the same range. Like, it's one percentage point. So I do worry, like Charbonnet could also carve out more work on the ground. I think there's, uh, you know, and it's not because Walker's bad, but it can be because Charbonnet's also good. And so I think that that's going to be a challenge. It could be one of these situations that we see sometimes in the league where we would love for Kenneth Walker to get this full-time every down role. But as long as Charbonnet is healthy, I don't think he's going to. But if something happens to Walker, I can see Charbonnet now actually getting that every down role that could honestly elude Walker, even if Charbonnet gets hurt. Like we could yep. see DJ Dallas or even, you know, their day three pick Kenny McIntosh be someone that they use on third downs. Because to your point, Dwayne, there were some concerns coming out of college and we saw those rectified at least to a certain extent. I'm not saying he can't catch a screen and go make some stuff happen after the catch, but just in terms of some of the PFF grades, which I'm not hanging our entire hat on, but you know, I'm not going out there and just grading every single one of his pass blocking snaps, Dwayne. So unless you have, I'm going to give them a little bit of benefit of the doubt here. And 
The guy ranks 43rd out of, I believe, 47 qualified running backs in that. It's not great, especially when we see what Charbonnet can bring to the table. As uh, the Athletics' Dane Brugler wrote about Charbonnet in his always excellent The Beast, he summarized it with, Charbonnet is not a dynamic start-stop athlete to quickly change rush lanes or escape trouble, but he has extraordinary vision with reliable pass-catching and blocking skills and impeccable football character. He projects as a low-end NFL starter. Beat writer Greg Bell has already said to, quote-unquote, not be surprised at the playing time and opportunities that he'll get in year one. So looking at Charbonnet, Dwayne, I I have not shut from drafting him as well. He's right in that range with similar archetypes like AJ Dillon, like Samaj P. Rhyme, where no, I'm not super convinced that we're going to be able to fire up Charbonnet, just no doubt about it, you know, week in, week out as an RB2 when Walker's healthy, but one injury away from honestly being that lock in your lineup guy and, you know, ask questions later. Yeah, I mean, and, and coming in at the 80th percentile in the supermodel, so 40% of those players go on to, to, post, to post a top six fantasy finish in their first three years. Now, to your point, it would mean something happening to Kenneth Walker. But when I see that type of information, and then we know that gives him that kind of contingent upside, he does have the well-rounded um, you know, skill set that you talked about that could enable him to handle a near-every-down role if something did happen uh, to Kenneth Walker. He's also good enough that he can do a lot of different things for Walker. Like he can come in and handle passing downs. He could still carries down inside the five yard line. I mean, Ian, we really don't know. Like there's a chance that they come out week one and this is an evenly split backfield. Could be. And we actually see Charbonnet getting just as much work and getting the passing down work, which actually makes him the back that we should have been drafting all along in round six instead of Kenneth Walker or in, in round five. So I, I just feel like there's so many paths for Charbonnet, you know, um, th- thanks to his role, thanks to the draft capital that they spent on him, thanks to what the data says about him. He's just a guy that I, I mean, I mean I'm eventually just going to have to stop myself from drafting him because I'm just going to get so overweight at some point. But right now I'm just continuing to click on his name. If you guys are worried about being overweight on a specific player, invite you to check out our new and, may I say, excellent best ball hub tool over at fantasylife.com. All you guys got to do, if you are a frequent player on Underdog Fantasy, go get your exposures. You can click an easy link where Underdog will email you that CSV. Head on over to our best ball dashboard over at fantasylife.com. Upload, and my goodness, the amount of information you'll get afterwards is going to make you feel that much smarter and better about what you're doing out there and the drafts. All your exposure, your combined, like your average ADP you've gotten the guys at versus what the current ADP is going to be. And also just when you've drafted, you know, this player, you can actually look at who you've combined him with. Dwayne, you talked in the last podcast about realizing after you'd look at some of your lineups, just all the times that you'd started with, you know, the Sun God CD start at the turn. And then, oh yeah, Jameer Gibbs is right there. We want to build that stack, but not every single time out there. And that's one of those many takeaways you can get from the best ball hub. So absolutely love everything we're doing in there and if i didn't say already it's absolutely free so why not check it out not going to cost you anything to do so talking about some wide receivers Dwayne dk metcalf tyler lockett and jackson smith najigba we'll start with the returning alphas right now who again just were able to keep on keeping on last year despite having that quarterback change and honestly at this point like the fact that we keep disrespecting lockett is the part that just gets so ridiculous every year in fantasy land so he does turn 31 in september but my god man like he outscored dk metcalf last year in terms of ppr points per game and we're now going on five years running of him smashing preseason adp in 2018 he he was the wide receiver 54 in ADP, finishes wide receiver 16. 
ADP 19th finishes 13th. ADP 21st finishes 8th. ADP 19th finishes 16th. Last year, wide receiver 38 ADP, and he got that wide receiver 13th finish. So once again, they add JSN, and now Tyler Lockett is back in the wide receiver 3 territory. I don't think either of us you know, have too big of a stand on Metcalf, Dwayne, in terms of I'm confidently ranking him as an upside wide receiver 2, and I, I believe you are as well. The bigger question is what to make out of Lockett, because in this range of guys, I mean, we have Tyler Lockett, we have Ayuk, Goblin, Marquise Brown, and JSN himself. There's a lot of talented wide receivers there, and when it comes down to trying to project the volume, that's where we start getting in trouble a little bit with Lockett, but how are you parsing this out? Because again, I like all those wide receivers there, but unfortunately, we can only draft one once we get to that range. Yeah, and I'm fine taking Metcalf and turning around and coming back and taking Lockett, you know, as well, (laughs) you know, or Jackson Smith and Jigba. Um, But to your point, like, I've got them projected so close together. I've got DK Metcalf right now. Uh, in 16 games, project for 221 points in a PPR. I've got Lockett at 213. And you got to take Metcalf in round three, you get Lockett in round six. So I, I still like both players. I'm willing to draft DK Metcalf at times in the third round, but it means I draft Tyler Lockett a lot in round six because he's really mispriced. Now, the arrival of JSN um, is a factor. Like, he's going to be a factor. But you have to remember, Metcalf and Lockett, neither one of them have lived as being just target hogs, right? It's not like we have these guys that are 27, 28% target share guys. These are guys that, you know, they're going to be between 23 and 21%. So if Jackson Smith and Jigba comes in and carves off, like, a percentage point, like, it's not going to be a huge deal, right, for Metcalf and Lockett. I think all three can still survive. I did, I did bring all of them down. Um, when I say all of them, Metcalf and Lockett, I brought them down a little bit from where they were last year as far as my projected target shares when I did, uh, you know, my, my projections. But I'm still fine, you know, with all of them. Um, and yeah, Tyler Tyler Lockett is getting up there in age. So he carries some extra risk, but it's a guy that hasn't shown any any signs of slowing down so far. Right? We know that the age cliff can hit in a hurry, but it's not like we've seen anything going, you know, Tyler Lockett seems to be losing a step. We There's nothing suggesting that in the data. And if there's ever going to be a guy that can beat the age cliff a little bit, it's probably the wide receiver who hasn't taken a you know healthy hit against him in a freaking decade. I mean, my God, Tyler Lockett just was, I think it's holding like the X button in Madden. Like every single time he just catches it, gets on the ground, doesn't take that hit. That's what you need to do when you're freaking, you know, 175 pounds <laughs> dripping wet out there. True Iron Man shit out of Tyra Lockett. I mean, this dude came into the league, Dwayne, in 2015. He's played at least 15 games in every single year. And he's played 16 games in every single year except one. So truly incredible stuff from Tyra Lockett. I know a few of the years he was out there more as a decoy than anything. But come on, man. We're talking about, you know, seven, eight years of him being an Iron Man. Great stuff there out of Lockett. And just echoing your statements again. Tough to, with this being as crowded as it is, tough to go too far out of your way with any of these you know trio of receivers but on the other side of the coin like we still want really good wide receivers and really good offenses just again only having one football to go around makes it tough to move them too highly up the ranks what jsn though now a guy who depending on when you were drafting in the offseason man could have found him like honestly on that wide receiver two borderline you look at what he did in 2021 even in an offense with Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave he ended up being the leader in terms of target share I believe definitely in terms of total receiving yards obviously went over 300 plus against the Utah defense that yeah had a running back out there but when you set the all-time freaking bowl game record for receiving yards you're doing something right Dane Brugler's summary on Smith and the Jigba is that he isn't an elite side 
undersized speed athlete and won't be an ideal fit for every role, but he is a crafty route runner with smooth short area quickness and tracking talent to be a sure-handed target. He projects as an early NFL starter who is at his best in the slot. And that's pretty much where I come along with it too, Dwayne. Could he work outside? I think so, but he would will be most, most efficient out of the slot where he can use, honestly, and I mean this as a major compliment, that Julian Edelman-esque short area quickness to just get wide open at will in the underneath areas of the field. Sure seems like that's exactly how he's going to be used in Seattle. So it just comes down to, Dwayne, how confident can we be in JSN getting those targets right away? And an offense that does like their tight ends as well, because as much as I trust his talent, you know, I just named the wide receivers going around him. Hollywood Brown, Tyler Lockett, Deontay Johnson, Mike Evans, Traylon Burks. Those guys are pretty talented too. Yeah. Um, I have plenty of JSN. Like I just, uh, you know, he graded out number one in our fantasy life supermodel, but I think they're all valid questions. I put out a similar tweet this weekend because I was working back through my projection stuff. And, you know, there's questions, you know, the Seahawks, we talked about it to start off this show. Like they were number two in 12 personnel. They like to use the tight ends. Now I will say this. I expect Jackson Smith and Jigba to dictate the fact that they're going to use more 11 personnel. He's so good that he is going to force the Seahawks hands and they're going to use less 12 personnel. But to what degree? I don't know. Will they suddenly become one of these teams that use three wide receivers on 80% of their plays? Probably not. Will they use, you know, two tight ends? you know, 55% of the time like they did last year, or sorry, three wide receivers, 55% of the time like they did last year? Probably not. So, I mean, I forecasted it in between those two things. Um, so that did help Jackson Smith's route participation, you know, some, because I'm like, they're not just going to keep running 12 personnel. Um, but I also, again, I just wasn't confident enough to say, fine, they're just going to use, you know, three wide receivers all the time. It's in the range of outcomes, folks. Um, I still think he can come up with like, you know, 18, 19, 20% target share in this offense because, again, we don't have a true target hog. Um, and I think it could be a very condensed offense where it's really just around these three guys. So I gave Jackson Smith and Jigba uh, 80% route participation. So that's between times when he gets to relieve Metcalf or Lockett, and then I have them using 11 personnel 65% of the time. So I might be a tad high. Might need to be more like 80%. But um, I've got him at 11.7 fantasy points per game in a PPR in. So, I mean, he's getting overdrafted a little bit. Um, but where it is a little easier for me is like some of the other names you didn't mention that go in that range, like Chris Godwin. Like I like Chris Godwin. I like Brandon Ayuk. We talked about him, very talented player, but I could, I could see making a case right for JSN against those. It's like, one tier, honestly, for sure. yeah, it's a tier. I mean, you got a major, major quarterback question for Godwin. At least with JSN, we've seen that Geno Smith played really well last year. Now, could Baker Mayfield surprise us here? Yeah, sure, he could. But, I mean, I'd probably rather just be like, you know what, just give me JSN, you know, and let me just let me deal with whatever happens here. Um, because there are other paths. If something happens to Metcalf, if something happens to Lockett, JSN I could see being the guy that you're like, dang, man, I really wish I had him on my roster for like this five-week stretch. I still think he's a really good player. Um, I do think he's a tad overpriced right now, but I've continued to pay it. I've continued to pay it to get him onto my rosters. I probably need to slow down, you know, just a little <laughs> bit on him. Um, but I just think he's such a good player. And just real quick, so four guys that have graded out, you know, where he graded out in the supermodel, uh, 60% of them have gone on to have a top 24 finish in their first three seasons. 25% of them have gone on to have a top 12 finish in their first three seasons. Um, not not projecting that kind of finish with him battling with Lockett and with Metcalf, but like, could he surprise us? Like with a high-end wide receiver three, low-end wide receiver two season when, and the Seahawks just go bananas? I think it's in his range of outcomes, you know, but most likely he's going to be a wide receiver three for you. 
This is the only offense that has three wide receivers priced inside the position's top 36 players in their preseason ADP. So I want to look up, Dwayne, how often does that actually come to fruition with their final end of season, you know, PPR per game rankings. And it's not impossible. It's actually happened seven times over the past 10 years. The 2013 Broncos were actually the only team to have multiple top, I mean, all, I'm sorry, all three be top 24 producers. The other ones have, you know, had the guys leaking into more of the wide receiver three range. But 2013 Broncos, 2016 Saints, 2018 Bucks and Rams, 2020 Steelers and Panthers. Shout out Teddy. And then the 2021 Bengals, most recent team to do it. So wouldn't be surprised. I do think they can join that crew. But yeah, maybe just a little bit overpriced right now. If we can get JSN sliding back just a little bit more, man, and going next to Jordan Addison, really after all those RBs, you know, are gone, that would be much preferred for me. But, you know, again, certainly. And that's been the challenge, Ian. His ADP has not really budged. It's down three points since yeah. you know uh best ball mania four launched i thought that we might get more movement than that i thought we might get at least half a round and, and maybe he could still get there um the the toughest part is for me you have to take right now jsn in front of locket i know like you know that, why, that's really you know why hard hasn't to budged, do. you know why it hasn't budged because people were losing their shit over jsn scoring some seven on seven touchdown where he got three down the sideline on a pick play and then we got freaking thousands of tweets saying oh i was told jsm wasn't fast like okay i saw that i'm not someone that has been trying to slander jsm but like come on guys we got to find something better to victory lap about than that give me a break Dwayne. Yeah. Now the way I chicken out of it is I often just take Lockett and JSN together <laughs> at the turn. And then I draft Gino. Not bad. So, not bad. Again, yeah. it's a great offense. We want exposure to great offenses. Nothing wrong with that tight end section. I was hoping Dwayne, this was going to be a longer conversation <laughs> with the tight ends, but honestly, I just don't think we have too much to say here because Noah Fant, someone that we did see pop a little bit here and there. I mean, 486 yards, four touchdowns, but just looking at his, you know, round one profile, some of the things he brings to the table athletically. Like I wanted to kind of believe here, Dwayne, I had drafted Noah who you can get literally in the final round eight over underdog fantasy like i've been happy to get him especially with my geno smith stacks in particular and i wonder if maybe i should be getting more noah fan in round 18 in general and the answer to that is going to be no because when will disley who was splitting time almost down the middle with fan throughout the season got hurt down the stretch we did not see noah fan take a leap up and become his full-time starter we saw colby parkinson not only replace disley but actually take over and work ahead of noah fan for those final three games so honestly man i wouldn't be surprised if next year that we see Fant, Disley, and Parkinson make it more of a three-way committee. Lord knows none of these guys are working ahead of Metcalf, Lockett, or JSN in terms of the overall pecking order. Again, if you have Geno, yeah, you can throw Noah Fant on there in round 18 when you need to. Otherwise, I think just stay away from this group. Yeah, I've only got Fant projected for 50% route participation. It's based on the very uh, a lot of the same data that you talked about. Uh, I saw the same exact thing. I was like, oh, yeah, let's go check this out. Probably got me like a 70% route, you know, participation, 80% or for Fant. No, but Colby Parkinson did. So th there's just too many problems here. If Parkinson gets hurt, Disley's going to take a step forward. If Disley gets hurt, Parkinson's going to take a step forward. Um, and, and and then you also have JSN added to the offense. I'm sorry. He's just going to earn. That's that's going to put a a ceiling, right, on Noah Fant, even if everything breaks his way. So I think the only time you're drafting Fant is in best ball formats and with your very last pick, like you were talking about, where you know you need another tight end and you have Geno.
Takes us to the win total, guys. Eight and a half, and there is going to be a minus 140 juice on the overs. So that does play into kind of a similar sentiment with the 49ers, where I think it'd be a much easier smash on the over if we didn't have to worry about, again, the extra juice that gets associated with it. But, man, shout out Pete Carroll, dude. He's won at least nine games in all but one of his 11 seasons leading the Seahawks. And the only time they missed, they went 7-10 and 10 in 2021. You know, he had to deal with Russ breaking his finger and then, you know, doing his 20-hour-per-day rehab shit when he came back wasn't uh, quite ready as well so this year again they have joined the uh, Seahawks the Vikings and the Lions were the only top 10 scoring offenses last year that also had a bottom 10 scoring defense they did improve that side of the ball they signed Draymond Jones Julian Love and even old friend Bobby Wagner back to the squad so I think the defense is going to be better but they didn't rest on a lot of their existing pieces on offense we just talked about some of the new pieces they added so don't Love it, Dwayne. I think that we've had some better value bets out there, but I'm cautiously going to take over eight and a half for a team that, again, looks like they got a lot better on paper and were already humming to a pretty high extent last year. You're getting two easy wins against the Cardinals. They don't have to deal with the first place schedule. I don't think last year was a fluke for the Seahawks. I don't think they're going to be contending for the NFC crown by, you know, by this year. But I still think this is a team that if they win double digit games, I would not be surprised. Look, this is a game that's still won on offense, and you mentioned it. They added pieces. I mean, you add JSN, you've got three legit weapons. You've now got the rule of three. No matter what kind of defense you face, you have the weapons to overcome it. If you've got one really good wide receiver, you can beat bad pass defenses. If you've got two, you can beat average to above average pass defenses. If you've got three, even the very best defenses are going to struggle with you. So assuming JSN does what we think he is going to do, um, you know, and regardless of, you know, even if they're not running him out there all the time, when they need JSN and they're in those games where they need him to win, we know that they're going to use him in that situation. Um, so I take the over, like, and I feel pretty good about this one. I mean, they won nine games last year. Yeah. I think, you know, nine, you know, is pretty easily doable again. And it won't surprise me if they win 10 games um, because, you know, you mentioned it, the Cardinals, they've got their own issues unless Kyler surprises us and is ready sooner than expected. Um, the Rams, yeah, they're going to get Stafford back, but it's not like they've completely fixed their offensive line, which was really the problem, right, that got Stafford into the injury uh, tent. So I think uh, there's enough questions with the other teams. You know, and we do like the 49ers, but, you know, it's not like they've got a juggernaut, you know, going on at quarterback right now. Yeah. They've got questions. So I like a lot of things, you know, for the Seahawks um, right now, and I, I, I easily take the over on the eight and a half. And with that, everyone, then going to wrap up another edition of the Fantasy Life Podcast. We always appreciate you guys tuning in. We'll just say that if you want more content from us, we have a ton of it over at FantasyLife.com. Always free daily newsletter right to your inboxes to keep you up on all the fantasy happenings around the year. Also, we have, again, our brand new Best Ball Hub, one of the best resources out there for you diehards already drafting over Underdog Fantasy. And if you're not drafting yet, but you want to, which why wouldn't you want to? It's freaking fantasy drafts, best thing in the world. You can go on over to Underdog Fantasy use promo code life and you'll get a 100% deposit match bonus up to $100 again that is promo code life for 100% deposit match bonus up to $100 for Dwayne I'm Ian thanks again for tuning in to Fantasy Life Podcast and until next time take care everybody